the church worldwide celebrating a risen Savior. And I want to welcome you to Resurrection Sunday. This is probably, as I just said, one of the most important holidays that we celebrate as followers of Christ. We celebrate that we have a risen Savior. If you look at all the other religions, their, their prophets are still in the tomb. But our Savior, the tomb is empty. That's why we have hope. That's why we have joy. That's why we have peace. We have strength. And as Kristen said, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. That is something to rejoice about there. You know, if you ask people, hey, this weekend is Easter Sunday, what do you think? A lot of people are going to reflect to Easter egg hunts, chocolate, eggs, chocolate. We, we can bring chocolate into any holiday. You know that, don't you? I mean, hey, happy 4th of July. Here's some chocolate. We love chocolate. But a lot of people don't even fathom the real reason we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. It's amazing. Our government is trying to take all of religious uh, activities out of their, their workplace, but they'll stay, still take Good Friday off. But when I ask, hopefully, a born-again Christian, when I ask, hopefully, somebody who's been attending Lake House Church, why do we celebrate Resurrection Sunday or Easter? Hopefully, the answers are going to be because we serve a risen Savior. We celebrate the, that the, the tomb is empty, that its grave was defeated, that death was defeated. But probably most importantly, this weekend is about forgiveness. Forgiveness is probably the key word that we as born-again Christians should believe. Now, we've been on a series of Facing the Giants. To give you a little background on this, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were promised a land. And this land was a beautiful land, and it was flowing with milk and honey, which meant it just was beautiful. In fact, the great clusters were so large that what was brought back had to be carried by two men. It was a land of abundance. But there were some giants in that land. And when some of the children of Israel went and they sent some spies in the land and they came back, some of them, all they talked about were the giants. There were two that talked about the potential of the land, the beauty of the land, and said, we can go take that land. But even in our lives, God has a place of abundance but there are giants that we have to defeat. There are giants in our society today. There are giants that are trying to redefine marriage. There are giants that are trying to redefine lifestyles. There are giants out there that are calling evil good and good evil. They are trying to sell you 24-7. They're trying to bring it into commercials and then through the internet and through television shows and through Hollywood. Wall Street, everything is trying to groom you to what they want you to be. But God. Amen. But God. Today we're going to be taking on the giant of unforgiveness. Some of you may be harboring some bitterness, some resentment. You'll know that you have that in your spirit 
if I were to name a person's name or a company or an incident or a school and the moment that somebody says that something flares up inside of you you're still harboring resentment and unforgiveness today we're going to be addressing and how to conquer that giant of unforgiveness you see you may feel like it's impossible for you to forgive someone who's hurt you so deeply the person who betrayed you but I want you to know that Jesus was betrayed by Judas a very close friend and what truly blows my mind is that Jesus knew the entire time that Judas was going to do that could you imagine knowing that a month from now one of your closest friends was going to betray you and you still love them sometimes it's difficult for us to forgive someone who took advantage of our kindness but those that were there in the crowd that were yelling crucify him had experienced the love of his message in fact one week prior to that event they were yelling Hosanna Hosanna to the king they were cheering him into the city you may have trouble forgiving people who have talked about you who have lied about you and those people that have believed the lie I also want you to know that as you read through what happened to Christ at his crucifixion they brought false witnesses in they couldn't even get all their stories straight but they brought false witnesses in and not only did it was he lied about but people believed the lie you see the more you really know someone the more you'll know when something's a lie those who have been with me for quite a while if you ever heard hey pastor marks at the um, Brussels sprout bar <laughs> you would know that that's not true because pastor mark will never have anything to do with Brussels sprouts whether it's a bar or a club or anything at all and inside you're saying you know that just doesn't sound like my mark because you know but we're very easy to believe lies we're very hungry to hear lies in fact, isn't it sometimes why we go on Facebook to see what's happening in everybody else's world? We want to hear about the gossip out of Hollywood. I don't care about the gossip out of Hollywood. That's not my role model. Sometimes it's hard to forgive those people who are the closest to you. But I also want to remind you that on the cross, all of Christ's disciples disowned him. Even the ones that said, I never would. Wow, isn't it amazing? 24 hours before, they're saying, you know, I'll always be with you. And then all of a sudden, emptiness. Many times we find it easier to forgive an offender when they've paid the penalty and they're on their knees and showing of repentance. Then I can forgive them. When they come to me and they, they get on their knees, and then I'll, I'll be able to forgive them. But I also want you to know that at the foot of the cross there weren't many people that were sorry that day when they were crucifying Christ there was no true justice at his trial if you even call it a trial and people were calling him crucify him they were hurling insults and they spit on him and they they beat him senseless they beat him to a point where he was almost unrecognizable and then they nailed him to a cross and they killed him 
And as this process was taking, it was one of the most humiliating ways to die. But as he hung there on the cross, an innocent man died for you and for me. In fact, in all of history, Jesus Christ is the only innocent man that ever died and took our sins and shame. As I thought about this statement, I know that there are so many people that I would lay my life down for without a thought. But then I started thinking about, what about people I don't know? Would I I'd be quick to lay my life down for them? What about people who are trying to hurt me at the time? Would I lay my life down for them? But you see, Christ laid his life down for all men and women, for each generation and each nationality, that anyone who would call upon him would be saved. It's interesting that as he was on the cross, Jesus didn't curse back at the people. Jesus didn't seek vengeance on the people. To know that you had the power to be able to call legion, tens of thousands of angels and just totally put on a show that would have completely been awesome and awe to all the people that were criticizing you. To know that you had that much power and yet you willingly gave your life. He didn't spit on the people. He didn't tell everybody, I'm innocent. Hey, I don't know about these guys, but me, I'm, I'm totally innocent. He wasn't in the PR business. In fact, he didn't even say to the people around, I forgive you. But there is one important thing that he did do. As I preach each week, I try to tell you that Jesus is always our perfect example. And what Jesus did is he painted a picture for us what it means to truly forgive. And what did Jesus do on the cross? His first words are, out of Luke 23, 34, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The verse goes on to say, Meanwhile, the soldiers divided his clothes among themselves by throwing dice. And not only was Jesus Christ showing that he had forgiven them, he was also making sure that God was not going to take vengeance upon them. But he was showing the ultimate in forgiveness in his life. You see, the ultimate proof of total forgiveness takes place when you and I can sincerely petition God, pray to God, for those who have hurt us, that God would forgive them. No matter what they've done. Now, some of you said, whoa, 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 Pastor Mark, I, I, I can't do that. You don't, you don't realize all the circumstances and how much hurt, and every time I've allowed them into my life, they've hurt me more and more and more. But I'm going to tell you that as a follower of Christ, forgiveness is not an option for us. You see, Matthew 6.15 tells me, he says, but if I do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your failures, your sins. And what this is telling me is that forgiveness is not a choice that I can choose who I want to forgive and who I don't want to forgive. When I look at how Christ forgave me of my sins, he forgave me completely and unconditionally. He didn't forgive me partially and unconditionally. But isn't that the way that we sometimes choose to forgive others? If I'm feeling good, I may forgive them. 
And if they don't bring it up again, then I might let them slide. But if they do, <laughs> then it's, it's, it's go time. That's conditional forgiveness. That's partial forgiveness. And we as Christians have received complete forgiveness. We should be giving complete forgiveness. We have received unconditional forgiveness. We need to be giving unconditional forgiveness because that is hypocrisy in our lives. You'll say, oh, the church is full of hypocrites. Yes, it is. It truly is. When we choose to change the rules, when we say we want to be forgiven, but we don't want to forgive others. We love people who look like us, but we don't want to love people who don't look like us. God is love. God is in us. We are called to love everyone. So you see, God, Christ did not go to the cross for individuals. He wasn't picking out saying, you, 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 you're good. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Wow. Mm-mm. No, see, it was total forgiveness for everyone. And all we had to do was cry out to him and receive this free gift. No matter what we've done. You see, sin is sin. And you say, oh, but what about somebody who's killed somebody? Sin is sin. What about somebody who's in sex trafficking? Sin is sin. What about people who sell the drugs to children? Sin is sin. So whether it's a little sin or a big sin, it's still sin in God's eyes. And we still need a Savior. There are no white sins and gray sins and black sins. It's sin. And sometimes we don't think of ourselves having that sin. But we don't mind doing little bending of the rules Because God's cool, and if God's cool, then he doesn't mind. He minds. I must forgive. You see, I have to make a choice. I can choose not to forgive. And I can choose to seek vengeance. And I can choose to get revenge. Or I can choose to forgive. And when I choose to forgive, I'm walking in the fullness of God's presence. I'm walking in the peace that he wants for me to walk into. I'm walking in the joy and the abundance and the love that God wants to pour in me. When I put those two on a scale, there is no comparison. I can't afford not to forgive because I don't want to remove the most important presence of my life, which is God's presence. It's God's presence that keeps me from doing very stupid things. It's God's presence that's learned to teach me to keep my mouth shut. It's God's presence for me to turn my eyes when there's something I shouldn't be seeing. It's also God's presence in my life to call sin, sin. And I can't give that up because I want to get back at someone. And some of us have been carrying some bitter and some revenge, and all we want to do is just see that person hurt. We want to see that person on their knees. We want to see them get what's due to them. I'm so thankful I didn't get what was due to me. Webster's Dictionary, and we have a slide on this, says to forgive is to stop feeling anger towards someone who has done something wrong. To stop blaming someone. To stop feeling anger about something to forgive someone for something wrong, and to stop requiring payment or money that is owed. The Bible has made it very, very clear that forgiveness is not open for debate. 
It's not open for interpretation. There's no way that you can twist the Hebrew and turn it over here and then convert it to Chinese and then make it into Latin and say, look, see here, then it says, we don't really have to do all. Because inside of our spirit, we know that we are to forgive as God has forgiven us. Ephesians 4.32 tells us to be kind to each other, sympathetic, forgiving each other as God has forgiven you through Christ. Now this next scripture I love, and I love it for newlyweds. Colossians 3.13, put up with one, each other. Now, I don't know if you've ever met somebody who just needs putting up with, okay? I, I think this scripture is so great because there are some people that will always just tend to get on your nerves. I'm not going to look at anybody in particular here, so I'm going to look down, okay, because there's no one in here. But there's just some people that irritate you. There might be a boss that's just like, how did he get that or she get that position? Or a professor or a teacher or a neighbor who decides they're going to mow at 7.30 in the morning. You have to put up with those people. There are bad roommates. Maybe I'm the only one who had some of these situations happen to me, okay? But I've had to put up with people my whole life. Not my wife. But I've had to put up with people my whole life. And that's why I love the scripture. It says, put up with each other and forgive each other. If anyone has a complaint, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Wait, forgive as the way the Lord has forgiven. So if you've received forgiveness, we need to give forgiveness completely and unconditionally. As Kristen mentioned in her message, uh, uh, announcements, Psalms 103.12 tells us, as far as the east is from the west, that is how far he's removed our rebellious acts from himself, our sin. That's how far your sin's been removed. I think the first moment that we walk into eternity, we'll realize the breadth of eternity, how large our God is, how he holds our universes in his hands, and when he says it's as far as the east is from the west, I wonder, why did I even remember that? The Word of God tells us not to hold a grudge and not to continue in bitterness or resentment towards others. So how do we conquer, how do we conquer that giant of unforgiveness? I'm glad you asked. There are some steps I want to take you to real quickly. Number one, total forgiveness is being aware that someone has done something to you and you are still forgiving them total forgiveness is painful i will tell you i've experienced it there's no doubt it hurts to think that the offender is getting away with something that they did to us and no one will ever find out but when we totally forgive when we totally forgive someone we become more christ-like than we've ever been before of what christ did on the cross Point number two, total forgiveness is choosing to keep no record of wrong. One of my passages that I truly love is 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love passage. But this is what the Bible tells us about love. It says that love isn't rude and it doesn't think about itself. It isn't irritable. It keeps no track of wrong. An interesting thing, the Bible tells us that God is love. So anytime you read through 1 Corinthians 13, why don't you put God in where you see the love? 
See, it might say God isn't rude and God doesn't think about itself and God isn't irritable and God doesn't keep track of wrongs. Why do we keep track of wrongs? Have you ever wondered why you keep track of hurts in your past? Maybe we want to use them for something. Not y'all, other people. <laughs> Maybe we need proof that somebody did something, so we, we kind of keep a record of that wrong. Maybe we want to remind someone else of what they did to us, so we don't want to let that offense go, and we're going to just keep it, and we're going to store it. We're, gonna, we're just going to put it in our pocket, and then if they ever get us mad, boy, I'm like Barney Fife looking for that one bullet. See, some of you from that, never mind. We keep those things because we want to use them when it's advantageous to us. When we're in an argument and we're heated, we want to be able to bring back those past hurts. And I'm going to tell you that many relationships and many marriages could be healed overnight if, if we would just do away with the finger pointing. Isaiah 58.9 tells us, Then you will call and the Lord will answer. And you will cry for help and he will say, Here I am. Get rid of that yoke. Don't point your finger and say wicked things. If God is not willing to do this, why are we willing to do this? If God recognizes that it's not healthy, why do we recognize that it's an option? If God says don't do this, why do we decide that we're capable of being able to handle that power? To hold bitterness, to hold resentment to be able to keep track of wrong of everyone who's ever done anything to you it's going to affect you more than it's affecting them and if somebody stepped on your toe in the fifth grade and you're still mad about it get over it okay because they've moved on and you're the one still resentment about the fifth grade in fact when you mention fifth grade you just get all red-faced because somebody stepped on your toe or somebody took your lunch we need to move on, and love is a choice, and so is forgiveness. See, forgiveness is not a feeling. It has to become an act or a will in our lives because you will never feel in your own natural that you want to forgive. It's not in us, okay? But Christ in us, the fullness of glory, helps us to achieve that. So the more Christ that's in me, the less mark that's in me so that I can forgive, but if you're just dabbling a little bit with Jesus here and maybe on Christmas and Mother's Day and Easter you're showing up, there's more of you than there is of Jesus. And what will happen is when there's more of you, there's going to be more bitterness and more resentment and more anger. But when there's more of Jesus in you, there's more peace, there's more hope, there's more joy, there's more love. You can overlook an offense. And in fact, total forgiveness is you could pray for the person who offended you. Point number three is total forgiveness is refusing to punish. And although your offender may deserve severe punishment, we refuse that upon them. God says that he'll take vengeance. I don't know if you remember, it's been several months ago, that there were two cowboys in an accident after an evening of drinking. They were best friends. I think one was Josh Brent and Jerry Brown. Jerry Brown died that night. Promising career in the NFL. But if you look up Josh Brent and Jerry Brown and anything about this story, 
Jerry Brown's mom came to the court, and instead of the, the grieving mom wanting vengeance and prison time and anger and pointing the finger, she actually went to the judge and asked if there could be total forgiveness for the person who took her son's life. Last Father's Day, there was a horrific accident. And the youth pastor at Owlsbury Baptist Church stopped to help some people that were along the side of the road. He was coming home from his son's Evans graduation party from high school. A drunk driver, a young teenager, killed all four people along the side of the road. That night, a 19-year-old man lost his dad, according to his testimony, his best friend, his youth pastor. And I've been kind of following his, his, his tweets and things that he's been saying, and he impressed me this week because he's told the people, and if you don't know the story, the, the young man was from a very wealthy family and basically was able to not spend any time in prison but went to rehab at a very exclusive resort in California for 10 years, almost like a vacation. And what this young man wrote was to tell everyone to forgive, to move on, to stop posting about the injustice, because that's not what his father would want. The notes that was on his father's desk that was to be preached that following weekend was on forgiveness. These are real examples of people who have lost everything. And instead of willing to point a finger and, and just demand justice and demand blood for, for blood for blood, I see that so much Christ was in them. They said, you know what? Why don't we pray for those people who have done this? Because they saw the hurt in the people. That's why most people turn to alcohol. It's because of hurt. They need love. They need companionship. It's sad that they can get companionship in a bar, but they can't feel like they could come here and be themselves. We should be the loving of those who are unlovely. That's what we're commanded to do. We can't choose who we want to love. We can't just hug the people that smell good. We need to continually examine ourselves when we're dealing with people who have hurt us. We have to ask ourselves a very simple question. How much of what I'm about to say or do is an attempt to punish them? If punishment is our motive, then we're grieving the Holy Spirit. Let God be God. Point number four, total forgiveness is choosing not to tell what they did. <laughs> now this one's going to be a toughie for you, okay? Because... We love to share bad news. We love to share injustice. We love to get these things called, oh, what's it called? Facebook. What's another one? Twitter. Instagram. And now if you can spew all your bitterness in six seconds or less, there's the vine. Okay? And then we can put that out for everyone to see and hear. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to bring peace and unity to the world, not condemnation. There's enough finger pointing happening out there. Love overlooks 
an offense. So when we're about to post something that we know is going to bring punishment to someone else, could we just stop and pray to see what is our motive here? What is our motive? Why are we sharing this? See, the beautiful thing about the cross is that when my sins are forgiven, God said he's not going to bring them up anymore. I don't have to be fearful one day when I'm standing in heaven that he's going to say, now, let's look back in the 1970s, Mark. Wow, you were a busy little bee. It's forgiven. It's gone. It's no longer there. In fact, the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, there's nothing on the pages at all because of what Christ did on the cross. The only person that's going to try to tell you that your past is still your past is Satan. And he will attempt to tell you that. He'll tell you that no one could love you. You've done too many horrible things. Who do you think you are that the God of the universe would love you? And that is exactly opposite of what the Word of God tells us in every book of the Bible. Point number five, total forgiveness involves an act of mercy. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. You see, the difference between grace and mercy is grace is getting what we don't deserve and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. We've received grace and mercy. We need to dispense grace and mercy to those people in our lives. Right now, you may be thinking of somebody that really has irritated your life. And you're hearing these words, but you're saying, Pastor Mark, I just can't connect it to that person or that place because the hurt has been so deep. We're going to talk about that in a second. Point number six, it's the absence of bitterness. Wow. Bitterness will manifest itself in many ways. It's losing your temper. It's high blood pressure. It's irritability. It's sleeplessness. <coughs> It's obsession with getting even. It's depression. It's isolation. It's a negative outlook on life. And we're commanded to get rid of all bitterness in our life. Bitterness is going to destroy your life, not theirs. Bitterness is going to destroy your life, not theirs. Okay. Bitterness is going to destroy y'all's life, not theirs. There we go. See, Shauna keeps you guys okay. I leave you all alone because of Shauna. So afterwards, just say, woohoo, thanks, Shauna. You might get bids to come over here, you know. <laughs> Bitterness will destroy your life. Bitterness will destroy your career. Bitterness will destroy your relationship. Bitterness will destroy your, your marriage. Bitterness will destroy your family. Get rid of bitterness. If I walked into your house and you had a ticking bomb, I'm not going to hang out there and say, tell me about this bomb. This is so great. So you mean if I touch this, we're gone? Yeah. You mean not only we're gone, but maybe six square blocks are all gone? Yes. That's an impressive bomb. Wow. Can I, can I get my picture? Can I get a selfie with it? How many of us have walked into a home of bitterness and it's the same thing? It's a ticking bomb. And all it's going to take is one alcoholic drink too much, and it is go time. 
We, as born-again believers, cannot harbor bitterness. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. My last point. One more thing that total forgiveness includes is forgiving ourselves. I've heard people say, I know that God can forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. I keep replaying things that I've said. I wish I would have never sent that email. I should have never been at that place at that time. And yet you've asked for God to forgive you. But if you don't forgive yourself, it's still a part of you. It's still impacting you. And it's just as wrong as not forgiving other people. There are people here today that need to forgive themselves. They need to forgive others. You see, God has forgiven you. You need to forgive you. If you want peace, you need to learn to forgive. If you want joy, you need to learn to forgive. You need to begin to pray. And you need to begin to pray for people who have hurt you. See, I don't want you just to say, God, I forgive that person. Or God, I forgive that company. I want you to pray, God, not only do I forgive that person, but I pray that you would bless them. And that you would give them peace. And that you would give them joy. And all the hurt that they've caused, God, I, I pray that you would comfort them. You see, that's when you're most like Jesus on the cross. When he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, maybe that might be your passage. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Today, we're going to do something a little different. If you're willing to take on that giant of unforgiveness, we have some pieces of paper on this little table. We also have some tacks. And you can write on that piece of paper whatever you'd like to write. Whatever you want to nail on the cross. It could be a sin that you're struggling with. It could be somebody that you have not been able to forgive. It might have been a situation. But what I'd like for you to do is to write that. Take that little tack and I want you to nail it to the cross. Then... One of the ushers are going to give you a little wooden cross. It's the little keychain, and if you choose to put it on your keychain or someplace where you see it, anytime that bitterness starts to come into your life, I want you to look at that cross. And I want you to remember that on Easter, Resurrection Sunday, 2014, you nailed it to a cross, and it is no longer yours. I'm wondering who's going to be brave. Who's willing to get rid of some of the bitterness and anger in their lives? With all heads bowed, I ask that you would start searching your life and just asking, God, is there anything in my life that I need to nail to a cross? Is there anything that I have been harboring for all these years? It could be a statement. It could be a person. It could be a city. <laughs> that reminds you of some things.
I'd like to invite you to, to come to the table, to write and to nail so that you remember it no more.
all heads bowed, I'd like to close in a very simple prayer that I'd like to lead everybody into. This entire service, we have talked about the cross and we've talked about what Jesus came. What is the basic gospel? Jesus Christ came to this world. He came with a purpose to redeem you and me. And he lived a life, and he lived a life full of example. He didn't seek to be served, he came to serve. He loved the unlovely, he, hang, he hung out with the, the sinners, he was despised by the religious leadership. And over 2,000 years have come and gone, and we're still talking about the influence of his life and the power and the difference it's made in our lives. Someone here today may have said, Pastor Mark, I don't, I don't know Jesus the way I'd like to know Jesus. I don't think I know him the way you know him, but I, I, I want to know him more. In fact, maybe you've given up because things are bigger than you are. See, that's what it took with an A-type personality like me for life to get bigger than me. And when I realized I couldn't handle everything and I couldn't control people and I couldn't make things happen the way, I realized I needed a Savior. Not just for now, but for eternity. You see, I needed a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I asked Him into my life in a very simple prayer And I want to invite you to do the same. In less than one minute, I'm going to lead everybody in that same prayer. And I'm going to ask everyone to say it, but if you are truly meaning it, God knows your heart. And if you do give your life over to Christ, if you do accept him into your Savior, if you surrender yourself to him and say, God, you are God, and I am not, and I need a Savior and I receive what your son did on the cross, then your life is about to be radically changed. But I'd also encourage you to spend time in the word of God, to learn how to worship God, to pray, just to have a conversation with God, and to grow in that relationship. So would you all pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life. Please forgive me. Change my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I now confess Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I am saved. Amen. Now, if you said that, welcome to the family, because we are all children of God. You are my brother. You are my sister. There are angels rejoicing in heaven. And the greatest thing about it is we'll be together forever. You just changed all your filthy rags for righteousness. All your sins were deleted. And that's why we celebrate this Easter, we celebrate a raised Savior. 
I'd like to speak a blessing over you as we dismiss, so if you'd stand. I also want to tell you that next week, Lord willing, I'm going to be taking on the, ang the giant of anger. <laughs> to be honest with you, that's probably the scariest giant there's going to be. I'm going to teach you the difference between good anger and bad anger and how you'll know the difference. So I want to invite you back. But if you have a coworker or a family member who tends to deal with a lot of anger issues, this might be a really good Sunday to invite them to church. And I'll bring donuts if that'll lure them over. But invite them. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you and may he protect you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. So go in his peace. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you for coming. We love you so much. Thank you.